happening. And so, finish this line. I had people do this on Sunday night. Where there is no vision, people perish, right? You guys know that line? Anybody who's heard that before? Raise your hand. Okay. Some of you haven't. Okay. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And so this last Sunday night at the gathering, the gathering is a time, it's an annual event, and I'm going to encourage you all to be there next time, as many of you were not. Um, it's an, that's not, that wasn't supposed to be a guilt move. I'm sorry, that came out, that just, the emphasis was in the wrong spot. It felt like a total guilt move, and I'm sorry. Some of you were not. It's an annual event that we do that is really a reflecting time, uh, looking back in the past year and looking forward, kind of that vision casting moment for the next year. And, um, and so it was a time of reflecting, it was a time of looking forward, and I, and I confessed something on Sunday night, that I hate vision casting sessions. And I may have explained it not so great on Sunday night. And so I wanted to clarify a little bit of what I meant by it, but then also give you more of my heart as we move forward as a church. So, like, I shouldn't despise vision casting, right? Because I'm a leader. I'm supposed to be a leader. And good leaders, they have good vision. They have goals. And what they do is they know how to put them in front of people. A good leader puts the goal in front of people, and they know how to rally people to that goal. And so specifically in a church context, we have a goal, we have a purpose, we have a vision that we put in front of people, and hopefully we end up in that desired destination, a destination that we planned for. And so maybe it's not vision casting that I despise so much, but what I do despise about many, many forms of vision casting is the definition of success. Okay, how you define success, particularly how you define success as a church or as a believer, as a Christian, is very, very important. That's going to establish your direction and your aim and the thing that you're pointing towards. A lot of times when I think of vision casting in a church, man, it becomes very much about numbers. It becomes very much about um, things like buildings and capital campaigns and things like that. And just in all honesty... I do hope and pray that maybe this next year, in 2021, that we would find a permanent home as a church. Just being honest. Be praying for it. Be praying for that. Be praying about that with me and the leadership. And uh, if, you, if you have any bright ideas, come talk to me about it. But what I don't like is when that becomes the vision, when that becomes the goal, when that becomes, and that becomes the thing that fills our eyes and everything we're pointing towards, right? And then we get the big thermometer out. Put the big thermometer on stage, Right? With the big red lines. And like, here's the $10,000 mark, $20,000, right? All the way up, whatever it is. And then we're like, yeah, rally. Oh, we're all awesome. Good job. I don't like it. <laughs> I want to be careful in the way that we set a plan. I want to be careful in the way that we establish a goal. We want to be careful in, in, in how we set the course for a thing as sacred as the body of Jesus Christ. I constantly try to remind you guys of the sacredness of this gathering. It's not accident that we sit in these seats next to each other on a Sunday. God in his uh, mysterious ordination, the way he moves by his Holy Spirit, has moved us into neighborhoods in uh, a proximity that is close enough that we would gather together to hear from his word, to worship and lift high the name of Jesus together as a group. 
It's sacred. It's beautiful. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ Jesus. That's what we are. And so it's so important that the aim, the thing, the goal, the vision that is in front of something so sacred as a church, that it must be precise. It's like I said it on Sunday night, right? Any of you marksmen in here? Aim small, miss small, right? Right? You set that, you set that. If if you just miss your aim by a little bit, you're going to be off way further. As that thing goes out further and further, as an organization, as a church down the road, it just keeps veering off into the into the into the weeds. 2020. It was a great year, supposed to be a great year. It was a ready-made sermon series. Last January, I don't know how many preachers I saw on social media, 2020 vision. It's 2020 vision, baby. It's clarity. It's perfection. Here we go. No one saw what was coming. God was just like laughing, going, oh, yeah? Let's mess up every plan you wanted to make. In tw- how many of you had vacations canceled in 2020? Rearranged, pushed back multiple times. We tried to have a vacation and it got pushed. Same thing with church. No one saw what was coming. We had a pandemic in the middle of an election year. It's like the perfect storm for polarizing division. Experiencing forced isolation. Enormous loss. And like I said, we're called to be leaders within the church. Eldership, leadership in the church, called to be a leader, called to have a good vision, right? And as you've already shown this morning, you know the verse in Proverbs that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So we got to have vision. We got to reset. We got to refocus. We got to reestablish our course. 2021, this is going to be the year, right? Well, in that desire to move forward, in the desire to have vision, I want to clarify that verse in Proverbs in a few minutes. Because to have a vision and to move forward, there's a danger in that. Because as you're scrambling for traction, as you're scrambling for momentum, as you're trying to find rally points and excite people towards something, it is so vitally important, as I've already said, that you are precise in picking that rally point. If you don't pick that right rally point, if you don't set your vision on the right goal or target, you could end up so far off that for an entity as a church, a sacred entity established by God, the consequences of picking the wrong rally point are grave and damning. And I use that word intentionally. There are grave consequences to church and to what we're doing on a Sunday morning if you are not precise in your goal. Like I said, I've got some goals. I've got some hopes for this year, some big ones. As I said, I would love for us to find a permanent home, but I do not want that thing or things like that to be the thing that fills our eyes and consumes our vision. I don't want things like trying to get back to pre-COVID numbers consume our vision. So let's read that verse in Proverbs one more time. But this time, instead of citing it from the King James Version, let's look at it in the ESV, which gets a little bit closer to the original Hebrew language. It says, Where there is no prophetic vision, 
the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Wow. Did you see the difference? Where there is no vision, the people perish. It's like this great mantra for motivational speaking, right? It's the great mantra for getting up in front of people and rallying them to a goal. But when you look at the original Hebrew, when you look at something that's a little closer to the original Hebrew, you see a completely different picture. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Prophetic vision in the Hebrew literally means word of revelation. And when you couple that with blessed is he who keeps the law, you can see what we're talking about. You can clearly see that vision here is not a goal. It's not a direction. It's not some grand plan for growth and expansion or increase or flourishing. It is God's holy word. His prophetic revelation recorded and revealed throughout Scripture by the Holy Spirit of God himself. You actually see some similar language in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3. It says, uh, when Samuel was young, ministering in the presence of Eli. Here it says, verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And listen to this. It says, the word of the Lord was rare. Some of your versions say precious in those days. There was no frequent vision. So the word, the prophetic word that would come forth back in the days of the prophets, it was rare. There was no frequent vision. So again, when you're reading Proverbs 29, verse 18, we're not talking about a goal to set in front of people. We're talking about the holy words of God. We're talking about God speaking We're talking about God revealing. And for us, this church, some thousands of years later, he has done that through his word, by his Holy Spirit. Where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no scripture, where there is, uh, where the word of God is not taught, where it is not read, where it is not preached and proclaimed, people perish. They cast off restraint. Now, if you look at the Hebrew, the word for restraint Uh, literally means to let free or to make someone go out of control, allow to run wild or to leave unattended. Okay, so that's the idea of restraint. The people cast off restraint to make someone go out of control or to run wild or leave unattended. I was uh, listening to one pastor this week, and um, he said there's actually even some notes in the Hebrew that would kind of denote uh, someone running around naked. So, don't mean to leave you with that image, but it's pretty wild. Where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no scripture, where there is no word of God proclaimed, preached, and taught, people cast off restraint. They run wild, out of control, unattended. I grew up in a family of bowlers. Anybody? Who's a bowler? Nice. Thank you. See, uh, when I was young, I was told that, yeah, I played baseball and I played other sports, and then I was told, I was given the advice that you better learn a sport that you can do when you're old, like 
bowling or golf. Like you can do, like don't do something that's so harsh on your body that um, you can't do it when you're old. Like learn, pick up one of those that you can do when you're old. Uh, I grew up in a family of bowlers. I, like some of you are golfers. That's awesome. That's great. I love to golf. Um, haven't done it in quite some time. But I was actually pretty good at bowling at one point, believe it or not. No, look, I have my own shoes. I have my own ball. Um, I used to have uh, over a 200 average for a little while. So I, like, it was, I, I was kind of legit. Um, haven't done it in a while. Please don't go bowling with me anytime soon, okay? You'll be disappointed. But when I was a kid, when you rolled the ball, there's a good chance it went in the gutter. They didn't have things called bumpers. Now, I took my kids bowling just a few weeks ago. You push a button on a screen, and bumpers pop up for the little kids, and it keeps them in the lane. And they throw that ball down, and it doesn't matter what they, they, they huck that thing right to the side, and it still rattles and makes its way down the lane, stays down the center. See, I didn't have that when I was a kid. I was disappointed a lot. I had a lot of gutter balls. A lot of gutter balls. But then I grew up, and I thought I didn't need bumpers anymore. I thought I didn't need, I didn't, I, 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 like, kids, kids, like, have it good these days. They've got these bumpers, and, and it just keeps them down the lane. For you and I, as adults, we need bumpers. We need restraint. We need something to keep us heading in the right direction. And it's not just a direction of a goal, but it's a direction of a person. Because I want to remind you that the Word of God, the revealed Word of God, is not about you or me. This is not just a book that ends up being our map for living. It's not just our book that is like, the I always say, like the roadmap for good Christian living. If you want your best life now, you've got to read this book because this is the way to do it. This book isn't about you, and it's not about me. This book is about Jesus. Every stinking word is about him. I shouldn't say that about the Bible. Every holy word is about him. Every bit of it is about him revealed to us, his bride, his church, his sacred, holy bride. And so every word of it restrains us. Every word of it, when we as a congregation, when we as a people that have been called by him, take that word and bring it into our lives, it does restrain us. And I know that sounds restrictive sometimes, but what it does is it allows me to see the beauty of Christ, to behold the beauty of Christ, to know that even though I was lost and dead in sin and transgressions, he made me alive because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his goodness that we sang about this morning. It constrains me. I go, oh man, the world is full of pitfalls, hurt, and pain. And it's not that I don't experience trial or turmoil, but there is joy and peace and comfort in Jesus. And it leads me along in the way of righteousness. It leads me along to my goal and my destination, which is him. That's the beautiful thing about the we all need bumpers. We need the word of God in our life. Matthew verse seven, uh, excuse me, chapter seven, verse thirteen says, "By the uh, by, enter by the narrow gate, okay? For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it uh, enter by it are many. So the the way of destruction is wide. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. 
right? And there's the idea of being narrow and constrained. They're narrow and and finding the restraint in Scripture. It is the way, it is the truth of God revealed to us because it reveals God himself. See, there are a lot of American churches with a lot of vision, And unfortunately, it's a lot of worldly vision, a lot of goals and growth and expansion and splash and flash and programs and methods and marketing to get butts into seats and to keep the numbers trending up. And unfortunately, many times, they have very little godly vision. That is very little word of God proclaimed and preached and held on to. Focused on methods and programs, not loving and doing the word of God. Unfortunately, I, I, I found myself in a church like this. I found myself in a church that started off really great and really good, but somehow, some way, the vision that was put before it, the aim that was put before it, 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 it became off. And it became about methods and programs to accomplish a goal of of growing. Growing became the goal. Growing became the aim, not the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's so easy for a church to do that. It's so easy for even our church to get caught up in that. But in my heart, I am resolved. In the heart of this leadership, we are resolved. And I hope that in the heart of you, each person who sits in these chairs, that you are resolved that our aim and our goal will be Jesus and his holy gospel. So for 2021, we will continue to be and more fully be a people of prophetic vision. Okay? We will be a people of scripture We will continue to be, and we will double down on it. We will further be, more fully be, a a people of the Scriptures, the holy words of God revealed in our preaching, in our teaching, in our sharing, in community groups, in Spirit-led. On the third Sunday of each month, we are going to share in the Holy Scriptures together because without that vision, we will perish if it's not our goal, if it's not our vision, if our vision is not the gospel of Jesus, the people, us, the church of Jesus Christ, we will cast off restraint and we will end up nowhere near where God has intended this bride to be. Where there is no word of God proclaimed, where there is no proclamation of the law and the prophets and the gospel of Jesus, people lose their way. But blessed are those who keep his law. And I want us to be blessed. So I do have a challenge for you, right? As a gospel-centered people, a Jesus-centric people, a God's kingdom and God's word-loving people, a people filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And all I'm doing here is describing a church, okay? That's what a church is supposed to be. We are going to look radically different than the world around us. If we hold fast to the scriptures, truly hold fast to it, we hold fast to the scriptures, we will look, we will shine so bright, we truly will be the city on a hill that is described in the Gospels. With that, we are going to be a church of power-filled living. Of power-filled living. When you are driven by, when you are propelled by, when you are restrained and constrained by the word of God, it moves you. 
It changes you. It conforms your will and recalibrates and reorients your life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're moved to preach. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are moved to share. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are moved to scatter seeds of the gospel for the glory of Christ. See, I've, I've said this before, and I've said it recently. I'm, I'm tired of church. I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of Sunday morning living with no vibrance through our week. question that popped into my brain this week was, are we disciples? And before we answer, like, oh, yeah. Like, think about the way Jesus called the disciples and think about what he called them to. Are we disciples of Jesus Christ? When he calls, he calls us to follow. When he calls, he calls us to die to ourselves. When he calls, he calls us to live no longer for ourselves, but to live for him and for his kingdom alone. Think about the words in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Very common passage of scripture. Please don't check out on me. It says this, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. See, this is the crux of what I'm getting at. Like we as a church consumed by the word of God, the holy word of God, living hopefully vibrant lives to the glory of Christ Jesus. As we put him and his word as our aim, as we put him and his uh, Holy Spirit empowered word as our aim, hopefully it transforms and conforms our will to his will and we actually live lives to the sake of Jesus. A lot of times we're just consumed with our life. We're consumed with the living of our life. We have this idea of success and what a successful life would be and unfortunately then the gospel and the word of God takes a back seat. But every element of your life is supposed to be the beautiful context in which you work in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your family, the fact that you're a husband, the fact that you're a wife, the fact that you are a mom or a dad is a beautiful context for you to live vibrantly the gospel of Jesus. So many times our definition of success gets skewed even in that. I want my kids to be successful. I want them to be well-rounded adults, adults. I want them to have goals and dreams in mind. And yet somehow in my shepherding of them, it's absent the actual gospel. It's absent the, the gracious, glorious, grace-filled gospel of Jesus giving them good worldly advice, good, good wisdom in myself, but am I shepherding their hearts and understanding and beholding, beholding the nature of Christ? I don't want to be a church that's full of programs and things, methods, that replace gospel living or places gospel living into certain buckets 
on a Wednesday night or on a Tuesday night or a Sunday afternoon, but God has blessed us all with a life. And the life that you live is the program. The life that you live is the program to take the gospel in. Now, it's not that I'm opposed to programs. It's not that we're not going to do a beautiful marriage thing on a Wednesday night that helps uh, train up husbands and wives and families to live gospel-centered lives. It's not that at all. But, But we've been given everything we need in the Holy Scriptures and in the Holy Spirit to live as the church of Jesus. We just got to do it. We just got to do it for crying out loud. We got to stop making excuses or stop um, shrieking back from the awesome privilege and responsibility that it is uh, to be a follower, an actual disciple of Jesus. Are we disciples or are we deceived people? Are we disciples or are we fooling ourselves? James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Again, super familiar passage. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Okay, there we go back to the word. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Here, we get, here it gets real familiar. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what it was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the perfect word of God, the prophetic vision of God, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. One of the best illustrations, I may have shared this before, that I've ever seen on this was a pastor who on stage, he had a big mirror on one side of the stage and he had a big picture of himself on the other side of the stage. And the picture of himself was like a really good picture, like a glamour shots type picture. You know what I'm saying? Like airbrushed, like not a, not a zit on his face, not a blend, like his pores were perfect. You know what I'm talking about? Not a hair out of place. It was like perfectly, re- eyes were sparkly, teeth were gleaming. It was awesome. He's like, so many times we wake up in the morning and like we go to like the picture and we look at ourselves and we're like, man, I look awesome. I'm having a really good hair day. You just roll out of bed and you're just like checking yourself out and whatever, but you're looking at like the best, most glossed over version of you. We look over here at the word of God, the mirror, and all of a sudden it reflects back and you, you see the schmutz in your eyes. <laughs> you see the hairs like this still because you just, and, the, and the drool on your face from when you like were sleeping so hard. And like a lot of times it makes us uncomfortable because we read things in scripture and the Holy Spirit is like zapping your soul going, hey, by the way, you don't measure up. You're not good enough. And that makes us really uncomfortable. But that's the point of the gospel. The entire point of the gospel is that you and I aren't good enough. The entire point of the gospel is that we're a schmutzy mess every day when we wake up. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus lived a sinless life. That becomes our righteousness. 
It's not just our example to follow, but our righteousness that he clothes us in. His perfect life is our righteousness. He makes us right. He gets rid of the schmutz. He cleanses it with his blood. All the sin that I've committed in the past, all the sin I'm going to commit later today is covered in the blood of Jesus. That's the beautiful gospel in a nutshell. So we look into the word and we see him revealed. We see what he has done for me and it fills me boldly with passionate living no longer for myself but the glory of Christ. Are we disciples or are we deceived? Are we kidding ourselves? Are you living outside of these walls for the sake of Jesus alone? I mean, alone. Deny yourself. Take a, are we living for him alone or am I living for me? Twenty twenty one. We are going to be a people of power-filled living, and that power comes by the Holy Spirit. When I look at the brand-new church in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit came down on those people and ignited the church of God, ignited them, the indwelt power of the Holy Spirit, igniting the church of God to be bold and vibrant, there were so many miracles that were happening in that early church. Actually, Glenn uh, Mertens shared a testimony Sunday night of the church in India that he works with. He was able to go on a mission trip before COVID shut everything down last uh, February. And he told stories of just the beautiful way that God was rising up the church in, in India. God is raising up the church in India and that he's, they're seeing miracles and there's just amazing things happening in the church there. And that the power of the Holy Spirit is so evident. And I think a lot of times we don't experience that stuff here in America. And we don't experience that stuff in America because we don't have the proper vision. We don't have the proper um, humility. We don't have the proper bowing of ourselves. But we live with this life with this arm's length, uh, Kevin uh, comfortable version of Christianity. Like we, we, we have Christianity that we're comfortable with and it looks like this on a Sunday and it looks like this in my life and this is what I'm comfortable with and I'm not going to allow anything too weird or too crazy to happen because this is what I'm comfortable with. Like honestly, like I just want to like kind of rip it all down and I just want to open up the word and I just want to believe it and I just want to do it. Does that sound like weird? Does that sound like revolutionary? It sounds so simple, right? You just open the word and what it says, we do it. And what we says, we believe it. And then we just allow God in the, his power to do whatever he wants. He's not going to do anything that he doesn't want. He's not going to do anything. Like, and, and it just seems so crazy and so bold and so like simple. But I think that's probably what the church was like in the first century. They just believed and they just did it. And the Holy Spirit was faithful to them. I think a lot of times when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, depending on your experience, depending on your church background, like it can get like real weird real quick. Like it gets uncomfortable. Like, oh, those crazy charismatics, they do this and they do that and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, you're stiff-arming a person of God, right? You're stiff-arming a person of the triune God. 
We don't do that with Jesus. We don't do that with God the Father. We start talking about the Holy Spirit. It's like, okay, don't get weird on me. Don't get weird on me, Holy Spirit. We're still talking about the same God. And without that God igniting his church, we are powerless. We are just a mutant, weird-looking Sunday morning Christian club with no power. That's being honest. And if that's what we're going to be, I'm out. I'll go make money. I'll go do something where I can make more money, and then I'll have my weekends free. But that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be the holy bride of Jesus, consumed by the word, and not just deceiving ourselves, but actually living it, and living it in the power of him, his Holy Spirit. And the only way we're going to do that is if we pray. 2021, as Josh said in announcements, I want us to be a people of prayer. So a people of prophetic vision, a people of word, a people of powerful, power-filled living. And the only way we're going to do that is if we are a people of prayer. When Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to his disciples, they went to this upper room in Jerusalem and they waited and they prayed. And and that's all they did is they waited and prayed and God was faithful in pouring out his Holy Spirit on the church and it ignited the church. And they poured out into the streets and Peter, Peter the denier, Peter who just a short time before was, was being questioned by a young girl in the courtyard and he's like, I don't know the man. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, out in the street, just starts preaching about this Jesus. The Holy Spirit fuels that sermon, fuels that man, and the thousands come, and the church is born. They just sat in a room, and they prayed. They sat in an upper room, and they waited, and they prayed, and they knew that if they, they just, they wanted what Jesus promised them. Ran into a quote this week, and uh, it has struck me. I may, I'm probably going to somehow print this, or this, this, this struck me just personally. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. <laughs> okay? I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. When I look around at the American church, and when I look around at Mercy Hill Church Lake Country, our church, we are sick. If I'm using a thermometer of prayer to gauge where we're at, we're sick. When I look around, if I'm using prayer, like the church in America in general has gravitated, and it's not all churches. There are, there are plenty of good churches, a lot of earnest churches out there. 
has gravitated, though, largely to a, to a uh, church experience that becomes all about that Sunday morning experience. It all, it, so people are relegated. What, what happens is, is that ministry becomes relegated to the professionals. Leave it up to the professionals. Leave it up to the guy up front with a mic. And then so we sit in our seats and we just consume. And we just, so we elevate that guy. And what ends up happening is that guy that's elevated in front of everybody, he ends up becoming full of himself and full of pride, and he ends up falling. Moral failure, whatever it might be. And then, and then we all sit back, everybody else sits back, and they're off the hook for actually doing the ministry. But when I look at the Church of Jesus Christ, it's my job, it's the job of the elders to, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Like, we have a vibrant role. You have a vibrant role in this church. I desperately need you in my life to use your gifts by God to build me up. Without that, I am going to fall. I am going to be deficient. I am going to be starving, and I need you to be the church. Not just so that we accomplish something, personally, in my own sanctification, in my own growth with Jesus, I so desperately need you. I need to spend time in prayer with you. I need for us, if we're going to be empowered and fueled by the Holy Spirit of God, we need to be in prayer together. We need to be. I don't know how we ever think, that, like, how we ever, th- we're not going to, there's nothing that we'll be able to accomplish in the Spirit through fleshly means. So we have to engage in the Spirit, which means we have to engage in prayer. I am so far off my notes right now, I have no idea where I am. So as we conclude, how's that? I hope what I said this morning makes sense. Like, I want us to accomplish some pretty great things this year. But really, it's less about getting back to pre-COVID numbers or actually if we find a building. I would love to find a building. Honestly, that's, I'd love to. When we first started Mercy Hill Church uh, about 14 years ago, we had come out of a church that really lost its way. It's a church that had a really awesome and pure direction in the beginning, but somewhere along the way, our vision became clouded. And we got caught up in the church growth movement. And we had all the methods and all the splash and all the flash to put butts in the seats and the budget to go up. We really did. And my heart ached every Sunday. And as God graciously kind of brought us through that and brought us through the scriptures and showed us again the beauty and simplicity and the purity of his bride, it brought us to a place where going, Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship. It seems so simple. And then the Holy Spirit just ignited it. He had a church that was consumed with the apostles' teaching, with the word, the revealed word of God. And what they did is they lived it. They actually lived it in power. With the power of the Holy Spirit, they lived it out. And God did the increase. Numbers were added to them daily, but it wasn't them. It was Jesus and his Holy Spirit. That's it. It's simple. So a phrase came out of that in us planting Mercy Hill. We're not trying to build a church. We're just trying to be the church.
We're not trying to build something. We're just trying to be something. Because Jesus says he's going to build his church. He's going to build it. We just have to be it. And when he builds it, not even the gates of hell are going to stand against it. Praise God. As we wrap up, if anything in this sermon has struck you today, maybe there's a point where you're like, I, I just, I got to confess, I got to repent, spend some time, do some business with Jesus. Repent. If you've been complacent in your living, if you've been stiff-arming the Holy Spirit, if you've been lazy in prayer, repent. Stop. Start over. Let's start over together today. As Josh said, we've got a couple different opportunities for us to pray together, whether it be first Wednesdays of the month or pre-service prayer here. I've talked, we were talking with the elders this week. One thing COVID has done is in our response time, I've been afraid to have us pray together. No one likes to be next to each other. No one likes to touch each other in six feet. Like, are we comfortable? Can we get back to that? Can we, like, even if it's distance to some degree, can we figure out how to pray together again? And so coming in these next couple of weeks, there'll be a little corner back here, be some prayer team people ready to pray for you, pray with you. We're going to pray more. We have to pray more. We are sick without prayer. We will never, ever, ever be a spirit-filled church if we're not actually spending time praying together, engaging the spirit of God together. And so let's do a little business with God before we go. Let's lift up our voice together one more time. And let's let him have his way in our church, okay? I don't want any other church than what Jesus wants. It's his. It's his church. It's not mine, not, not the elders, not the, it's, he's the chief shepherd. It's all for his glory. It was his blood that bought this thing. It's pretty awesome. Father, thank you for this morning. Let our vision be clear. Let us be centered on your word. Let us be disciples of you and not deceived people. God, help us to tarry. Help us to push in, press in for prayer. Press in with prayer. And God, let us see your hand move. Let us be a vibrant church to the glory of Christ Jesus. We thank you for this calling. Be glorified in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.